Hello, hello, friends. Here we are, episode eight. And to kick it off, we are starting with a question from my DMs. It occurred to me yesterday that um, I always say DMs and not direct messages. So if anybody's wondering what DMs means, there you go. That's it. Okay, slipping right in. All right, says here, Ashley, I need your help. I'm only 25 and I've been in a relationship for four years. Our sex life was amazing for the first year and a half and then I went on birth control. And I feel like my desire has become less and less, like significantly less. I'm physically attracted to my partner, but I'm never in the mood. I'm not sure what to do next because I know this is beginning to affect him. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. Thanks for all, thanks for any and all advice. Okay, so first off, female, young female here in my DMs. Um, and let's just jump right to that part where she's worried because this is beginning to affect her partner. Okay, this has already been affecting her for I think two and a half years, right? Yeah, first year and a half, then she went on birth control. So for two and a half years, she has not felt like herself. Okay, women are very used to not feeling like themselves from the time we get our first period, you know, 11, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, every month, we are not quite feeling like ourselves and not quite sure what's going to happen when. Um, it's, a, it's a regular occurrence. And here we have her affected physically. We have her affected emotionally. Um, and this is affecting now her partner emotionally. And this is when she's getting concerned. Okay, so we need to start taking our physical and emotional well-being as a bigger priority. And we need to be asking doctors for support and doctors who ignore us, we need to be asking for a new doctor. Um, I live in the US, I pay for my own health insurance. It's fucking expensive, of course, but we can afford it. Um, you know, access in the US is harder in different places in the world. It's easier to get a doctor and to get the answers that you need. But quite often in women's health, women's discomfort uh, is ignored over and over and over and over just just read up on that but whatever um so what i am advising here is you know i don't know the reasons that she is on birth control and i want her to talk to her doctor about whether hormonal birth control is the right choice for her as far as contraceptive um and also what other brands or what other types of birth control could be used to give her a better result we shouldn't just ignore this we shouldn't just say okay that's part of not being pregnant is having no sex drive um no that's not it's not an even trade-off for me we should each be allowed to have an incredible sex drive and also be safe from unplanned pregnancy um, I'm a big advocate for responsible ejaculation. A very easy way to stay not pregnant is to never put sperm somewhere a baby could grow unless you're actively trying to grow a baby. So for more information on that, if that's blowing your mind, um, read Ejaculate Responsibly by Gabrielle Stanley Blair. And for the benefits of having a natural period, read Period Power by Maisie Hill. Incredible book that I thought I would get something from, but um, blew me away. So much information about my body that I didn't know, even though I did have that incredible uh, Canadian public school sexual education in the 80s and 90s. This episode is brought to you by Splash Blanket, a super bright, Pinterest-worthy white bedroom. Maybe trendy, but what if when the lights go out, you want a moody sex den? Splash Blanket to the rescue. 
Grab one in a rich, deep color, light a candle, and voila, space transformed. Go to splashblanket.us and use code KEEPINGITHOT for 11% off. It is not my job to take care of anybody else. It is just my job to go, okay, wait, how is this person saying things in a way that I haven't heard before or haven't been able to integrate before that's going to give me a slightly different perspective on the things that are in my life right now? Because that's what coaching is. That's what improvement is. That's what evolution is. That's what maturing is. That is what the whole game is. Learning to look at the same thing in a different way in a way that makes more sense, in a way that shows more opportunity, in a way that shows you the different solutions there instead of how big the problems actually are. Because I'm not saying the problems aren't there, but a lot of us think that that's actually the job to try to take out the magic wand to go, my kids are perfect, my house is perfect, my ass is perfect, my bank account's perfect, my car is perfect. You are supposed to make it better. Those are the things in your life And if they're bothering you, that means that you would prefer a situation where they are different. When things are really, really frustrating, just look in another direction. Just look out a different window. Just move yourself physically. My book, Swing, has been optioned for films. The story that is in Swing is going to be probably a three-season story, the way we're going to break it down. And then we're going to see after that what the characters want to do next which I am so excited about because when I wrote that book, when I published it, the way people reacted to it was no longer any of my business. And that story is no longer just my story because every story that's told well, and I'm proud of how I told that story. And I'm excited to see how it's going to play out on the screen. But every story that's well told has enough blanks that people must fill with their own lens of experience, their own filter of life, that the story becomes something of their own. Like it means something to you because it fits into your life and it turns a little key and then you see things differently. I think a lot of us are afraid to fit those keys in that we know because they kind of vibrate, right? It's almost like we're in like Narnia or we're in, you know, a great majestic quest type movie. And It's like a golden key, like hanging, like vibrating. We see those things and we look at them and then quite often we shy away from them because we think if reading that book, if taking that course, if going on that retreat, if talking to that person is going to tweak something you believe to be true or something you believe to be important about yourself or life or being safe, right? We are, our relationship to safety is so tenuous that we think, if I insert like the wrong idea, I'm going to be setting a precedent. This is something I hear from women a lot that if they sign up for an after dark, or if they acknowledge interest in this, or if they are willing to try a little bit of that kink or, 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 that they're setting a precedent that what? They're setting a precedent that they are the kind of women who do that. We still, some more vividly and nuanced than others, but all of us still have this idea that a woman who does X, Y, Z in the bedroom is like this outside the bedroom. (laughs) 
or ABC. If they're only into ABC, then they must be like this. Where do you think you are as a person if we were on a scale from zero to 10? Okay. Zero being like, and, and like, we're going to just, we're just going to bring out like asexual. We're just going to put it out of there because this is something different, but like how afraid you are of trying anything in the bedroom to like, you are just, you're inventing new shit on the regular. Like you better be webcamming because like you're pioneering for humankind. My point is that we are all like different levels of spice. These are the funny things that we are learning together through the After Dark webinars. So I have new ones on the agenda. We have intro to squirting. We have intro to anal, intro to dirty talk, erogenous zones, like places to touch on the body that feel good. These After Dark workshops are going to be like all different levels of spice. All right, erogenous zones, um, intro to BDSM, intro to all of these things that you're like, would I be into that? I don't know if I would be into that. So like maybe you'll read a romance novel about it or maybe you'll watch a documentary about it, but you won't like go to a club. You won't like search out a tantric breath-holding orgasmic teacher on your own. I want you guys to just be able to pick your level of spice, what you want to try. And you can like put on the webinar and even watch it on your own and go, hmm, would I be willing to talk about that? Would I be willing to try that? I don't know. And then you could tell, you could tell your partner, yeah, this maybe, that no. We need to be less afraid of precedent. Precedent is the excuse we give when we don't want to tune into our heart and ask ourselves, wait, this is my reflexive knee-jerk response. This is my reaction to just say this. But what? Okay, okay, okay. If I move the precedent thing looming over me to the side, what's really right in this situation? What's right here? Every single breakthrough I have is when I stay long enough in a conflict with someone I love and I ask enough questions and I drop my ego and my superiority about it and be like, Ooh, okay, what if, what if I'm actually the safest in this situation? If I'm not the right one, what if, what if, what if, right? Cause being right really feels safe. What if, what if I'm actually the safest in this situation? If I am the one who changes their mind, what if I hear my husband with different ears and I go, Ooh, I see what you mean, but we can use these principles for feeling safer, making big moves for whatever we want to get that's just right outside our grasp right now. What area of your life right now is like right outside your grasp? Professional, personal, health, parenting. What is it? It's like, oh, I feel like if I could just get that, then these other things would fall into place or it would make the other things easier. Do you need a change of scenery to get you in the mood, but you can't duck out to a hotel tonight with your honey? Instantly turn your bedroom into a sex den with a luxurious, super soft splash blanket. In addition to being 100% waterproof, washer and dryer safe, splash blankets are simply gorgeous. In an array of deep, rich colors, you can change the vibe of your sleep space in a snap. Do you have a white, bright bedroom by day? 
turn down the lights, grab a dark, sensuous splash blanket, and light a candle to completely change the vibe. Get yours at splashblanket.us and use code KEEPINGITHOT for 11% off. That's splashblanket.us and use code KEEPINGITHOT. I think this is why I have kind of a suite of offerings that go from like bedroom, personal development, business, right? Because there are all of these things that I'm super passionate about. And I see like the after darks. Oh, this could be really good for couples who want to try something new, but don't know where to go to get it. Or could just be like, we're not going to do any of the kink stuff. We're just going to do like oral and manual for him, oral and manual for her, so that we can just get super, super clear on on the anatomy and the different ways to touch. I have a lot of audience members who are newlyweds, and I have a lot of audience members who have been raised in purity culture and have found my content as well and are using my content to be like, okay, yeah, I just need a little bridge here to understand, like, in enjoyment part of it like how does enjoyment feel safe and I feel I feel safe to them because I have this like big sister energy for a lot of people and they're like oh I think she's going to tell me the truth and I think she's not going to laugh at me if I ask her a question all of these changes we want outside of us will will happen very very quickly when we get clearer on what it is we really want so many of us have been raised to think that anytime we need something or we haven't figured it out on our own, or that there's even something to figure out, like you're just not automatically getting along. The bedroom dynamics aren't automatically awesome. Like we have been taught, so many of us have been taught that if you have to talk about it, then that's really a problem. And oh, what's wrong with you that it's just not all right the first time? Because I do most of my communication with my audience through my Instagram stories, every single response that people make is private. Every single response comes as a a direct message to me. So people are pretty honest because they know that their opinion and and their profile photo and everything isn't like, they're not just throwing it to the sharks or the wolves. They are sharing it with a person who, for whatever reason, they feel like it's trustworthy enough of of their time and your, your thought and your emotion and that I'm going to get back to them and it's going to make them feel better, right? They're going to feel like I listened or I laughed or I gave a shit. If we can just break it down to those three things in your relationships, did you listen? Did you laugh? Did you give a shit? That's all we need to do. But instead we put the bar so high, what we think we're supposed to do. And what I want to invite you to consider is that things are actually simpler than we make them out to be. And I've done it the complicated way in a lot of different areas. It gets to be a little easier. I've tried to build my marriage and then fix my marriage in a complicated way. Nobody's got time for all of this shit. If we're actually going to be enjoying life, we don't have time for all of that. If we're actually going to be plugged into who we really are, when we are, time slows down. The good moments stretch out. You're cuddling and you're like, oh God. I feel like I've been here forever. I need to get up and check that work call or, you know, that message. But you open your eyes, you still have tons of time.
those are the moments, those are the savoring that actually feel like satisfaction. When you feel good, when you are relaxed, and it's almost surprising to you, for a lot of people, it's after orgasm. So for a lot of people, that's why their focus on satisfaction in their marriage or in life is really tied to that physical release. And there are other physical ways that we work that out, right? Some of us through exercise, some of us through like heavy work, some of us through dancing, some of us like, right? We do different, we do different things to work out our energy physically and we should all do that. But I think for so many of us, the feeling better and more satisfied emotionally because you feel safe that the person you're with loves you for you and you can't really fuck it up and you can't get it done. You can't get it wrong, but you are both just allowed to be there as each other, right? Like your responsibility is your ability to respond. That's all. We're good people. We're here to get along. There's no bad guy. We're not fighting against each other. Your needs, fundamental needs of people are never at odds. We can want things to look a different way because we think we're going to feel safer, but what we're actually trying to feel is safe. So you and your partner, if it seems like they want it this way and I want it that way, and if things stay like that, I'm not happy. Or they're telling me they're not happy, but I'm not willing to do that thing. What you need to do is look underneath what that thing is going to make them feel like, or they think it's going to make them feel like, or they think it means something about them. Those are the two things. If they think it means something or they think they're going to feel a certain way. And you just need to have enough safety, enough space around it that you guys are both willing to just look into it and go, wait a minute. Okay. This soup of this situation. All right. I see resentment over there because we're still talking about it. Yep. Yeah, you got it. That's resentment. Okay. I see that you have some fear because if we don't do it this way, your parents are going to say, have an opinion, right? That's part of it. What we're doing when we're pulling this apart is we're not saying, oh yeah, look, you idiot. You're, you're letting your parents boss you around. No, you're just identifying the reasons why this situation is hard for your partner. Because we're both human. And we both have this complex emotional soup that we have just been like simmering in our whole lives. And until we get out or start piecing it apart, we're just replaying the same thing. And they're a different flavor over there. They don't even know what we're talking about. So we have to take a look and then figure out, oh, okay, yeah. So there is that part, yeah, that I that I just want to be, I just want to be the good kid. I just want to, my siblings never did that. So I just want to keep that badge right there, that imaginary badge. But I'm sure it's real and that everybody knows I have it. Just taking a look at it and naming those things. Yeah, I just want um, my parents to be impressed. So I want to do that. And I don't want her to be able to say that thing about me. So that's why that. And and and, and then we start to look at the, the, the common threads here. You're worried if you disappoint people that you are worthless. You worry that you have to be perfect. We can tweak that story. Do we just find like some reasons why maybe doing that thing the new way may be safe? Maybe you sign up for the webinar and you send it to your partner and you say, surprise, happy, Merry Christmas, happy early Christmas. I'm not sure if you're going to be happy or unhappy about this present, but 
I got us one of the after dark workshops and um, I would like to do it with you. You can watch it on your own first or we can watch it together, but I just want to watch it together and we can decide when we're watching it if we're like going to actually engage in anything with each other because that's what the after darks are. They're a guided pleasure practice. They start with anatomy and models and different things. And then there's a guided pleasure practice and you're on Zoom webinar. Nobody can see your name. Nobody can even see how many people are there. It's like so completely private. And then there's there's some demo with props or a dildo or things like this, but it's not explicit. Your instructor is closed and <laughs> explaining. And then you just try it. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but in the bedroom, there's always room to learn. Show your willingness to try new things with the After Dark Workshops. They're private, recorded, guided pleasure practices from trained tantric coaches and sex therapists. Go to keepingithot.com for our single workshops and bundles. Topics include oral and manual for him, oral and manual for her, intro to dirty talk, intro to squirting, secrets of female pleasure, control your ejaculation masterclass for men, and more. Workshops start at $25. It's the cheapest and sexiest date night you can get. Check out the After Dark Workshops at keepingithot.com. Whenever someone says no, and whenever someone says yes, I need you to just inquire as to why. You're not going to lose your footing. You're not going to lose your authority to advise next time. If you say, hey, what made you say yes this time? What was it that made you say no? What was it, even though I showed you like how comfortable and this easy this could be, that you're not willing to do it? And just keep asking questions. What was it? What is it about that? What is it about that? And what you might get to is, there was that time I wanted you to go to the work picnic with me and you didn't, and man, so mad. Oh, okay. Okay, well, thank you for pulling that up from, you know, pre-COVID. Uh-huh, that thing that you're still mad about. Okay, amazing. Now it's out in the open. And you know what you do in that situation? You say, I am so sorry. You still feel mad. Tell me more. Like when it comes up in your mind, what do you think? And this is what I ask myself. What do you think? Oh, they don't love me. They don't care. They're not proud of the work I've done. Okay, wait a minute. I need you to know, like, these things are not true. And let me tell you more about what I see in you so you can understand. When you're in that situation, you don't go to the person and go, oh, no, no. I'm going to tell you the ways I have shown you that I'm proud. There's nothing to fight about. We're all trying to help feel more connected, feel happier, feel more joyous in our families. And we're all going at it from different angles. We're all coming from different directions and let your spouse come at it from a different direction. And if it feels unhelpful, say to them, I see that you're really coming at it from that direction. Please let me know how you think this is going to help because for me, it just feels like it's agitating right now. It feels like it's like, can you just tell me like why you think this is the best idea right now? And when you say that for the first time, they may think you're trying to start a fight. And so you may say, hey, no, no, no. I've been listening to this podcast. I've been watching um, this woman on social media. I've been in this live challenge. And uh, no, I actually want to know because I think. I may be missing something because I um, see nothing, nothing, nothing helpful about this, but I know there must be because you are a smart person because you married me <laughs> and I married you. The level of good will 
that we have for our partners and seeing, oh, out of all the people I had met in life before them, I decided that's the one. That's the one for me. So let's pretend like you made the right choice. Even if we pretend you made the right choice and it was actually the wrong one, you're actually going to come to that answer faster. Take the step. Register for the thing. Buy the book. Make the change and believe that the person you chose, the person you married, is going to be your rock, is going to be the person who helps you get to the next level in whatever you are aiming for. Even if their support has not been landing in the right place for a while, I'll say, you know what? Today's a new day. I'm going to take this step. When they ask me what I am doing, I'm going to tell them honestly. When they ask me what I need, I'm going to be honest about that too. Okay, those two things are going to be hard because I've kind of been a little out of integrity. I haven't been as honest with myself and everyone around me as I should have been. But now, today, I'm going to do that. I'm going to say, yeah, I want this thing. I'm going to try that. I want you to tell me what brave leap you're taking today. Today you're doing it. What action are you going to take? I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today, Aoife Drury is a psychosexual and relationship therapist in Dublin, Ireland. She's worked with couples and singles for over 14 years, and she is here to tell us about the biggest challenges she sees and that her clients face when it comes to intimacy. I'm so delighted to be sitting here opposite you and like finally getting to have this conversation, which I know we've both been you know, really driven and really passionate about having. And and I mean, yes, I do the work and I see couples, but so do you. And that's part of why like we connected was I was just I just loved how you like um, put out the messages there in such a fun, diverse like expansion of of different ways to 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 have these conversations as couples and around our sex lives, which are awkward and and difficult at times. Which is part of my job as a psychosexual and relationship therapist. I am based in Dublin, in Ireland. I'm very lucky to have this job. I'm very lucky and, and privileged to be able to work with, with so many people with their own struggles and difficulties and hopefully find a little way to, to help ease that distress for them. Um, I'm currently doing a doctorate a psychotherapy doctorate in the area of chemsex. Um, I'm imagining that most of your listeners are probably cis straight, yeah, yeah. So we have, couples. so we have, yeah, we have a mix. Now it's interesting. It's interesting mm. because my cis hat couples, mm. um, they look at my content and they they fill in the blanks like it, in a lot of in a lot of ways, and it makes it. They really feel like, oh yeah, Ashley's just talking about straight relationships, but yeah. I get a lot of message, a lot of messages from non-binary, trans, even couples who are in ethical non-monogamous relationships, mm. gay relation, same sex relationships. And they're like, oh my God, I just feel so, I just feel so safe in your space. And I feel so included with your content. And the thing yeah. is, I'm really intentional about the words I use, even pronouns. I just talk, yeah, my partner, your partner, because so much of the feedback I get from my audience does not follow along traditional gender lines and stereotypes 
So I know we all see things like with the filter of our own experience and conditioning. Um, so a lot of people just make assumptions. Like when I share question responses in my stories, like, oh, that was a man. Oh, that was a woman. Yeah. No, most often it's the opposite of what you would assume. So it's interesting. Majority of my audience is, they are in heterosexual relationships, um, but not everybody. Yeah. yeah, and and I suppose the the reason I I say that is is because um, we know through research and through listening to people that the majority of people who do struggle with their sex lives are straight couples. Um, oh, and fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. the, and that's um, a, a particularly around. I mean, the discrepancy between gender roles, I think, which, you know, you speak about a lot and yeah. and the orgasm gap and the pleasure gap. This is amazing because, yes, I've always known that, but like I haven't actually heard someone say it that that mm-hmm. clearly that, yes, the majority of people who struggle in their sex lives are straight couples. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's more, please. I just wanted to I just wanted to repeat what you just said, because I was like, mm-hmm. yes, actually. I, I see that every day. I see that every day, right? And just people I talk to or or online or just, you know, yes. Yeah, and I mean, that's obviously not to say by any standards that those who are in non-monogamous relationships or those who are in gay relationships or those who are non-binary or trans don't struggle with sexual issues. But um, I think that's where the research really shows it in terms of pleasure and, and particularly orgasms where um, women in, in gay relationships um, or same-sex relationships are more likely to orgasm than those in, in straight relationships. And and that's where, you know, I, I do see I have a lot more straight relationships um, uh, come to me than same-sex. So okay, and I, I, I know. Yeah, let's talk more about that. Because I have to tell you, and my audience knows this, because I mentioned it a lot, 80% of my direct messages and emails are from men. Ooh, wow. Yes, who have found my content. So they come into my DMs and it's like, people may assume, well, I've heard this from some people that because I make content that is about intimacy, I must like get a bunch of dick pics or something. Mm. No, no. The men who come into my DMs are like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you for your content. I found this made me understand that I'm really not pulling my weight or understanding or connecting or, or, or there's this thing. My partner has been telling me for a long time. I just didn't get it. Your video made it click. And then I sent it to my partner. They follow you too. I just want to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I presented in this way. That's like, Hey, maybe we could consider this and this. It's like a little disarming, right? So men hearing that the likelihood of their partner being dissatisfied (laughs) is like, is, is, is kind of high. You're probably going to break their heart. So let's talk about like, what is the science? What is the research? What, what are the reasons behind this? Yeah. And I've done a few podcasts on this around, um, pleasure gap, but also like sexual scripts. And so Ultimately, I suppose we're talking about gender discrepancy, we're talking about gender roles, we're talking about the pressures that are on different genders, all genders for, for different reasons, but also then we're talking about sex education and the the total neglection of women's pleasure within sex education in schools. And so, you know, we do, uh, even if... <laughs> depending where you are in the world, yeah. if you get sex education at all. Right. So um, I, so just for everyone mm. to know, and I was educated in Canada. 
right up the, like, you know, kindergarten to university. And then I moved to the US. I got great sex ed. I got great sex ed. I was, oh, I, fantastic. I mean, I was always very, very curious about the physicality and physiology of sex. So I like really paid attention, but I understood ovulation when I was 11. So throughout my life, like with roommate situations and friends and teammates, cause I was on skating teams always, I was usually the one who, when someone would have a need, I would like link arms with them, walk them to the public health nurse and like get them on birth control or whatever. Part, partly just cause I'm interested in this topic, but also because our, our sex head was, I think, Really comprehensive, good. comprehensive yeah. back, back in the, in the nineties in Canada. And that just makes a world of a difference in terms of empowering women and also, you know, dismantling the shame and, and the, the kind of stigma around having sex or having pleasure or masturbating and all of these things that as uh, growing up in a very Catholic country, right. which was, I mean, my sex education was um, when I was 17. Um, in an all-girls school where we had two um, men from the church come in and tell us about how uh, if we go in the pill we will get cancer and that <sighs> if we use condoms you will go to hell like if you have unprotected sex or sex at all you will go to hell like and of course you have 17 year old girls who are on the pill for skin reasons devastated there were so many tears that day so many people were very distressed leaving that room and I'm not that okay. old, <laughs> you know, and, not that long ago. Okay, and, and, oh my God, the levels, the levels of twistedness that, okay, again, I'm so, I'm so lucky. I grew up in a sex positive home, really mm. sex positive home. I, I always knew that sex was a fun thing for adults and that adults liking sex was like the most natural, awesome thing. And yeah. also by the time I was 11, I was taking my mom's Danielle Steele books, which I realized, I didn't realize this till I was an adult. She never even read them. Her sister-in-law would like bring them over after she was done no. and they would like just pile up and then I would grab them and read them. The sex no. scenes were fantastic. So I was 11 and reading through these like, you know, sex scenes written by women going like, oh yeah, that sounds really nice. Like mm. that sounds nice over here on the horse, the sex they had, that sounds really nice. Like all these things. Sex on a horse? Well, I don't know, I think they were like riding together and then I don't know, maybe they went into the barn, but what, you know what I mean? Okay. I don't know. I, don't I was know. thinking, I was like, there was, oh my there, God. There, there was a, it was called Palomino. So there was acrobats needed. I know, but so, but the twistedness of like, sex is bad, you're gonna go to hell or it may kill you and then you're gonna go to hell. Um, but then some sort of like switch you have to flip. And this is, this is the thing I get a lot. I get, I'm not so much some Catholic, but more evangelical mm. purity culture, um, people who are raised in purity culture who then are married and are like, whoa, sex is so hard in our relationship. Like, and, and they get to this breaking point together where they're like, okay, we, we can't be happy and satisfied in our relationship with the way things are going are we willing as a couple to deconstruct, to unlearn a bit of what we've learned to like maybe open up new opportunities here? And it's a really painful situation for them. And they usually come to me when they've already, or they, they find my content when they're already mm -hmm. sort of on that path. But the 
I want you to just jump back in where you were, right? Mm. All of these messages, all mm. the things we're not taught that mm. we should be and the things that we are taught that are completely fucked up. Um, and I tell my kids, every family has different rules and most of the rules in a family are put there because the parents are so scared that the kids are going to do things that are unpredictable. So they're trying to put in as many rules and boundaries as possible to say like, we don't do these things because those things are, are awkward conversations and there's nuance required in talking about those things. It's safer for silence. I think one of the big things is around silence. We have to make up. We have to fill in the blank. We have to fill in this blank and children filling in a blank of something that is silent that we don't speak about doesn't feel positive it feels shameful it feels bad it feels wrong it's uh, and and i'll get in trouble you know um and and it's one of those things where we have to then recognize that how a child skews that to fit their narrative around whatever it might be but if we're talking about sex which is already happening behind closed doors you know in the bedroom um when lights are off it becomes a very difficult painful and and fearful experience um particularly when you have aspects such as cultural or religious factors that perhaps are there as like little narratives or little stories that perhaps started so much younger than that sex education at 17. Mm. Right. And your own curiosity. So I was, I was super sexually curious about my own body and just how things worked from such a young age, but that I grew up in a family where like, mm. you know, I knew, I knew for self-pleasure, it's like, go, go do that in private. When there's, sex ed at 17, I would basically said there, there was, there was no sex ed at all. Right. Ridiculous. I mean, most of us had had sex by that point. So I was like, lost cause. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's how, when I was raised sex positive home and like always, I just always had this certainty of like, oh yeah, like my body is like craves pleasure it like can like get to pleasure like right all this like I had this confidence my sexual experiences have been really positive because I went in with like really with this like command of the situation sort of mm. right I had like mm. no idea that maybe my partner the, the guy I was with should direct it or anything so yeah so tell me more about this because when mm. when people come to me with these kinds of stories I'm like I really try to feel into it, but it is, it is also really different from my experience. Yeah. Um, and, and I need so much support. So yeah. What, what does the research show and what, what do you see that just yeah. exacerbates? Absolutely. And I think it's part of, it was funny because I was looking at your story earlier where you were, were you spitting a salad? Yeah, shaking it, shaking the salad. And you said about the Kardashians and I watched it the other day and it killed me because they kept referring, they were talking about their little, um, I'm actually wearing one now, what do they call little bodies? One of them, I'm so bad, sorry, but I think it's the Chloe and she was talking about how the skins need to be made bigger for the vagina. She kept saying, the vagina's popping out. Like you can see my vagina. And I, I was like, it's a vulva. It you is, know? right? Oh, and yes. it's this kind of stuff because 
we really disempower young people if we're not giving them the anatomical words to be able to use and feel comfortable with it. So there's still this level of shame and, and misinformation um by using the incorrect words which of course is actually more harmful if we think about if there is an actual issue with the vulva or a vagina being able to articulate that to yes. a doctor you know but but i was just like have we not moved past this it's so interesting because um like in the sex scenes in my book for vagina i use the word vagina for penis i use penis like even in these sex scenes and i had an editor say it seems like a very clinical term to use in mm. the situation. And I was like, but that's what I call it. That's what yeah. we always call it. So, but the thing about vagina is for, it's for a while there, right? Like Oprah, Grey's Anatomy, I think like we're calling it vajayjay, right? Yeah. Like that was their way of like being really brave, like talking about <laughs> women's anatomy. Well, ease our way in. <laughs> vajayjay, what the fuck? You know what I mean? <laughs> And like, I don't know, it takes like all the strength out of the term as well to actually just say Chloe saying vagina, 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 probably thought I'm being so progressive. I'm being so like body positive. I'm being so like, right. And you're like, yes, sort of missed the mark. We're so close. We're, we're so close. We're so Chloe. close, but we've got um, so far to go. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of this is the fact that it's not, we're not properly teaching kids about anatomy in a normal neutral way and then adding in pleasure like obviously we've got the clitoris yet again completely omitted but yet we talk about wet dreams or most you know most even biology classes will talk about wet dreams and semen and penis and erections more so in order to talk about procreation yes but then women become these vessels rather than actual pleasure and excitement and rapture. Mm, Absolutely. Okay. So how does this present with, Mm. with patients, clients who come to you, what are commonly, so we're talking about like, sort of like the root causes, like the, the, the ways that we're set up to have difficulties, especially in straight relationships, right? Because in, in non-conventional, like other than cishet relationships, there are already so many, um, taboos or that have to kind of be broken through. Right. And like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Think like the gay community has like done a lot of work and like, okay, this is how we're going to partner. And I even have some gay friends who are monogamous and like pretty mainstream and they get a, like a bit of flack from their, from their other gay friends Mm -hmm. because they're like almost living like a straight couple there are struggles no matter what relationship setup you have right totally okay but we're talking about like the root cause how does this present for you like what things do first people have to be in a situation where they're probably struggling for a while before they go doctor please yeah (laughs) right absolutely and i think that's the key thing is that people, firstly, people think I can't go to therapy until things are really bad. No, individually or, or like as a couple. And there's some shame that I hear. If we go to, as a couple, if we go to therapy, things are really bad. And we don't want to admit that things are really bad. Or we don't want other people to know that things are really bad. So we put therapy off for a while. And 
unfortunately, you know, they come to a place where a lot of distress, anxiety, worries, um, it's this sex is this huge big elephant in the room. Like I always talk about like the elephant in the room and, and how it's inflatable, um, and the room being the bedroom just for conventional sake. Yeah. And like we just gotta start letting that air out gradually. You know, it's yeah. not we're not gonna go and just pop that balloon because that is gonna scare us shitless. Like we just gotta let that little bit of air out. It's awkward, it's scary, it's daunting, it's overwhelming, but it's there. Let's let's say that it's there the way the way that it presents couples come to you and what is it been like a dry spell like we we haven't had sex for so long and now we're having trouble or Mm -hmm. fighting what are the the main ways of course everybody has their like diverse history and conditioning and relationship dynamics but what are the what are the common ways that it presents and couples come to you um crisis breaking point one can and it's normally one person can't deal with this anymore Okay. All right. So I'm done. I'm fed up. We're not having enough sex. It's normally enough sex rather than the type of sex. Okay. So it's normally like we're not having enough. Maybe somebody's had an affair. Um, or that's pretty much it, actually. That's that's probably the was, main oh, thing. Okay. <laughs> that is consistent with people showing up in my DMs. You know, I make videos. <laughs> I make videos yeah. about sex. In my DMs, people want to talk about feelings. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. I'm fed up. We're not, we're not yeah. having, we're not having enough sex. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Threats and, for the relationship to end, threats for me yeah. to leave, that kind of stuff. And then what position is the other partner usually in, in this situation? What, what is their, what is their stance in this when they come in? It's, fear and desperation a lot of the time I don't know what to do I can't seem I can't even I don't even know where to start how do we even start because things tend to have just caught up so much and have gotten so bad that it feels like this big impasse it feels so insurmountable I don't even know how to begin here and so there's a sense of desperation Um, and Sometimes what happens is a per- one person will come to me and say, myself and my partner are, you know, going through this this really difficult time where it has been ongoing for X amount of months, years, um, and I need to be fixed. So I have vaginismus, I've dyspareunia, I have erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, desire, discrepancy, although they don't tend to use that word, but it's me, I'm broken. Um, and okay. that's often how it starts, which of course, they're not broken. Nobody's broken. They're not. Um, and and we just, you know, it's, it's sometimes somebody needs to see me individually, and I say, okay, well, I think this would be good couples therapy sessions. Um, if there isn't trauma or something that maybe needs individual work, and and then when people come to see me together, I, the first thing I talk about is blame. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about this. I am a perfectionist in recovery, so self blame. <laughs> Self-blame is usually my game. Okay. Self-blame, um, which leads to like a lot of codependency and things like that too. But um, how does, okay. How do you talk to a couple? How do you talk to a couple about blame when they come in and like, you, you need to just turn, turn down the thermostat on like the heat in that, in that relationship. Right. So we can start yeah. to maybe be heard. Right. Yeah. And I think this is where empathy is so key. 
So for me, in my role is to try and understand both perspectives and then help them understand each other's. Because, you know, in the old Gottman kind of, they've turned away from each other. So how do we get people to turn back towards each other? Yeah. And that being so important to, you know, bring down the blame, but more bring down the shame that's correlated with something wrong with me, something wrong with you. Um, And go, okay, well, if we're here in couple therapy, this is about teamwork and collaboration. And it might feel that it's somebody else's fault. But if we go along like that, it's very difficult to repair. Absolutely. I spent 23 years teaching teenagers how to get along with each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I feel like I'm like a teamwork and cooperation expert. Whatever's going wrong, there's possibility for fixing it, right? Like sometimes Mm -hmm. skaters lifting other skaters or this or that it would be really easy to point the finger and go her, her, Mm. she's not, but Hey, as a team, as a unit, we, this is not working right now. These are the things we're going to try. Okay. Go try. These are the things we're going to try. Go try it. These are the things. And just like that, that, um, flexibility, that flexibility in finding cooperation, finding, 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 right. And just that trust, like we could try something else. We could try something else. So in relationships when they're not going well. Oh, we've all, I mean, very few of us have had it modeled to us, especially, especially in a committed partnership with two adults, like a committed romantic relationship with two adults, how they work through things, right? Like Mm. our parents would talk about it privately. Some parents would like fight or whatever. That didn't really happen in my house. Like I, I just never really saw how they work mm. through those things. Right. Mm. So when people come to you and they have like so many possibilities for how they saw these kinds of things being worked through or not worked through, mm. what are, what are the basics? Like, where do you always start with that blame conversation to try to just set, get, get some footing to get some footing. So then there's possibility. Yeah. Such a good question and something that gets me very excited and I'll talk about this in a minute. I mean, firstly, the the first kind of antidote is something like the paraphrasing exercise. The paraphrasing exercise um, uh, is is kind of a non-confrontational way of engaging with communication with each other by active listening. Okay. Um, and it's something that, I mean, can, and if you do it even with your partner in, in an argument, it's, it's like you can see the in it. Um, but, but you kind of have to hold through and just kind of breathe through it. So, so basically you would uh, be sitting opposite each other and you would bring up something that's happened for you. And you would say, this is how I feel about a situation that we went through and I'm finding it really difficult and whatever it might be. Um, you know, it's it's left me feeling triggered or upset. So you would describe the situation and basically the partner would paraphrase it back, not parrot it back and, and just repeat it, but make sure that they've actually heard what that person, the partner has, has said. And, and then you do a check in. Is that right? Have I got that? Did I miss anything? Do I want to fill in the blanks? Do you want a little bit more? And then the partner, you know, you have this opportunity to phrase it back. And then you switch roles. 
So you've actively listened. The reason I say it, because some people are like, but that's not what happened, you know, and you want to react to it, but it's all about sitting with and just holding it. Okay, right, right, right. And for so many people, this is probably against every instinct of safety that they have in their body, right? Because they felt like being right is how I stay safe or how I, right? And as a therapist, as a coach, you know, you've seen, both of us have seen over and over and over. It doesn't matter who the fuck is right. It matters if it gets better. And that's what we got to see on the ice every single day, right? So for 30 years, Aoife, I was on the ice six days a week, okay, with my own training or with my athletes. So every single day on the ice, making the execution and the performance better was the goal. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whose idea it was. It doesn't matter who who actually got their act together finally. We had progress. We had progress. Look at us. We made progress. So when there's this paraphrasing, really getting people so clear on like the goal is just to paraphrase. Like you're not accepting blame for everything that no, is going wrong for 15 years, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just sitting in the here and now and having to to hear, you know, that there's the difference between that kind of listening of in one ear and out the other, but like the actual hearing of what somebody has said, because people will just go, and repeat exactly word for word what the other person said. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, oh, let's try again, good, okay. Try it again. Right. And, right. and I think that's that's key to just create some equality yeah. within the dynamic. So it doesn't have to be anything turbulent. Like I'd never start with anything big and turbulent with it because that would be too much and you know would send anybody over the edge if they'd sit right. there in a first session with, some stranger having to, to listen to, to being laden with blame. But the other key thing, and this is the thing I get really excited about because I get excited about this, I'm getting giggly, is like <laughs> learning, learning about each other. Yes. And it's so, it's act, like whenever I have a new client, my first, I love all my sessions, but my first few sessions are so exciting because I'm like, I have this human in front of me who I don't know and I just get to explore with them their life, their upbringing, but who they are, what their experiences have been, what that's been like for them, what's their pain, their trauma, their challenges, and and what are their achievements, and and what what do they love, and their values, and all of those like really kind of multifaceted things that we have that are like stories about ourselves and stories that we may not even share. So although I sit with couples, I get them to do individual work. Yeah. so that they can learn about each other so they can learn about things that are like pitfalls or things that are um positive traits or um tools and techniques that they use from everything from like like attachment styles to a type of therapy called imagotherapy which is exactly what we're we've been touching upon which is what we learned from back there our childhood experiences what we've been magos that you like mirrored what what we are then mirroring in our our relationships now from those uh, carers and uh, parents that we had so i think that's the most exciting part because then you go ah that makes sense why you react that way oh so if i do this this could actually help us instead because of the 
experience you've had with your dad or whatever it might be. So it's about exploring each other and that brings in empathy too. Absolutely. Empathy for self and other, right? That's that's the real story in swing, right? Is like me actually being willing to take a look at my relationship with myself, right? And accept mm-hmm. that I was more complex and needier, needier than I ever wanted to believe that I was, right? Like the things that I really stuffed down or like ran from myself. And I was like, oh, look, I, I'm a whole complex human in here. Like, yeah. wow, there's so much more here than mm. I ever realized. Like I was really, like really running and pretty scared from anything mm. that wasn't just like, I got it, self-sufficient, like steady, like whew, even even as I'm saying that, I, like I feel like this heat coming up, like mm-hmm. through through my back and torso. It was really scary to admit to myself that, oh wow, it, emotionally, like I I really really like I really need like this kind of thing from other people. Anything mm. that I felt like I needed from someone else, wow, I I I, I had a lot of shame around it. I had a lot of shame around it because I thought being a good person is doing everything yourself and not needing anything from anyone else. That's the only way you can be a good person. And there's the perfectionism there. Right. So much. But then when I was like, oh, look. And then so I started kind of thinking of like, oh, I'm the custodian of meat suit Ashley this time around. And look at her. Look at her. She's she's got lots of good ideas super smart, always excited about things, but wow, she's got all of these things that she needs to. Okay. And, and here, like, this is the person I have to take care of. This gorgeous. Time. So when I started like looking at myself, right, like having that bit of a gap, you know, big self, little self, whatever, capital S self. And then I was like, oh, wow. I can see and appreciate and love my children in a way that I couldn't before, a way that I always wanted to, Aoife. Like I always wanted to, but loving my kids and accepting my kids was one of the most heartbreaking and difficult things. Mm. So in order to like love the kids, you had to get to a place of loving yourself and accepting yourself. I did. I did. Mm. And it was really painful. It was really painful because there are these kids, fucking amazing little humans in my house. And Anytime they would act childish. I mean, they're kids, right? So this would be many, many times a day. I would be like, oh, anything, any childish tendency, I still despised so much in myself. Mm. That when they when they would display that, I would either despise that behavior. And then for me as a mom, it felt like I was despising my own kids, or I would try to meet that need. And this fear would come up that I'm letting my kids manipulate me. I'm not, I'm not teaching them to be self-sufficient. I like all of this. Oh, just this fear, this, this fear, because I always, I always just thought self-sufficiency was the best, the best thing a person could be. It's through looking at these things myself and then having these, um, awkward conversations, right? Like, it's like, mm. you, you have to let it, you have to let it be messy to get to like the better place, right? And with the paraphrasing exercise that you're talking about, and the like, just really getting to know your clients. And in that, in that, the gift in that Eva is when you have a great practitioner guiding you, mm. 
you get to know yourself like for the very first time. Mm. I think, I think like in my forties, I'm getting to know myself for the very first time Mm. because I have enough experience, enough stability, enough privilege too to like, you know, take the time to like dig in and then go, Oh, okay. Well, what, what choice do I want to make there? Like Mm -hmm. what part of this story do I want to latch on to as my story? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so like, this brings me even back to what we're talking about earlier and those sexual scripts, which are part of, I mean, like sexual scripts are, are scripts, their narratives, their stories to nerd you all out and is, is, social constructivism so how okay. our society is is constructed um, and then the layers of it so um whether that's kind of heteronormative beliefs whether that's monogamous beliefs whether that's um gender roles or or it could be religion the politics we're under the the um cultural components and and that in itself is multifaceted as too yeah. Um, and so the reason I, I'm bringing up the sexual scripts is because I was listening to you and all I could think about was when I read your book, your evolution was really like palpable through it and who you became as um, a partner, wife, um, mother, but just this athlete, you know, just yourself and and how you kind of just evolved and expanded and 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 grew. And, and one of the things I think is so important is that we we okay, we have set blueprints that we can't really escape from, Okay, you know, yeah. that we were born into, um, whether that's the color of our skin, whether that's our sexuality, whether perhaps it's aspects of our gender. Um, but, you know, these are also then things like, um, of course, society and um, maybe, you know, financial backgrounds and then traumas and whatever else happened to us. But when we get to a point of recognizing that we can actually rewrite those rules when we can actually reshape and use that pen to make that next chapter and as you said have choice we can create our own story and our own book and so maybe there's aspects that have been imposed upon us and maybe we weren't quite you know awake yet to be able to recognize what stage and what was happening to us and um and we can actually sit and just say now i have choice now i have opportunity now i have privilege and i have this pen where do i want the next sentence to go what do i want this script play like book to look like (laughs) for this reason Aoife, i wish everybody wrote a memoir of their life or a (laughs) memoir of their marriage anybody who has to do innovative or creative work will understand this but taking the experiences that happened Mm. and then deciding how to weave them together as a story. It is this act of choice Mm. and meaning making. Like, what are we going to make this story mean for us? But we Mm. all get to decide, all right, what threads am I going to pull out and go, these are actually the most important parts because they mean this to me. We all have that choice, right? We all, we all have that choice. And I don't want to gaslight here and I don't want to spiritually mm. bypass and like, oh, whatever thing has happened mm. to you, you can just choose. No, I actually used to have more of a mindset of like, oh, things will only influence me if I want them to influence me. Like I used to have like this very, 
this um, manifesting kind of yeah and this like part of the self-sufficiency perfectionism is like mm. oh no i can control it's this it's this control thing so actually surrendering more to like whoa okay traumas have happened and since since i've been willing and went through that experience of writing swing that openness and that curiosity of like oh wait what is what is that little thing that's in my they had that story okay wait wait, wait what is that you know, from when I'm 11, from, I've had so much clarity on real traumas and, and, and things that happened in my life that aren't even in swing that all of a sudden are like, yeah. and now you're ready to see this. And I go, golly gracious, look at that. Look at that. That happened. Right. So mm. there's that meaning making. Okay. And rewriting our scripts, right? Like yeah. Uh, so, so what are the first steps in realizing what the scripts are or what the, what the assumptions that you are operating from may mm. be? Because mm. they're, they're probably different for each person in the relationship, but we just assume everybody has the same programming or like blueprint that we do. Right. Or mm. like, so what are, what are the ways of figuring out what the scripts are to begin with? They're so unique for all of us because we are unique and our experiences are. And so it can sometimes feel like, well, because there's this assumption that, like, as you said, we're just this monolith, like we're all the same. And um, when actually, when we break it down with the individual aspects that we have, even within a family dynamic, like my experience is going to be totally different to my sister, who's 12 years younger than me, you know, right. like she's her whole life experience and parental dynamics that she would have experienced just because she's my sister doesn't mean that she will have experienced them at all in the same way. We would not view our parents in the same way or whatever it might be. But I would always start with um, where just simple. How did I learn about sex? Oh, yeah. Okay, just keep keep it simple. And then what was it? atmosphere like around sex on tv when it came up in the household that's a big one you know how parents reacted turning it off or going oh okay. gross or that's disgusting because then if we think about little kids and they're seeing that they might go oh you know there's oh, why are those people kissing that's gross i shouldn't be doing that I, you know and i i liked it though i liked when they did that but mom said that's bad this and i want you to pick up right from there I, this is what this, that's making me think so I never had that confusion, right? I never yeah. had that confusion because it was like, this is how babies are made. And yeah. also grownups do this just for fun. It's a thing that grownups, and I was like, okay, got it. So then anytime I saw sex, I was like, yep, that looks like fun. And I'm having these feelings in my body because yeah, it's fun. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Like coherence, right? So gorgeous. I, yes. But there were so many things um growing up where I was like oh my god I'm feeling this and I would like look to the adult there and I would go this it seems like this is happening and they would go that's not happening that's not even close blah 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 and I would be like oh disconnect I can't trust myself yeah. but, so for so many people this was their experience with sex this is why I always tell people and I worked with kids for so long I was paid to tell other people's kids what to do for a decade before I had my own right so just communicating with kids, whether it's my own kids or, or neighbor kids or here or whatever. Like, I feel like if something comes up, it's like my, my 
if any adult around, it's their opportunity to like guide a child if they see something. Oh. I, I, I really think that. Whenever something stressful is going on, like Nanny was raised in a traditional Greek family and, mm. and they'll be like, oh, don't tell the kids or just tell the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you don't think the kids know? Like the dog knows there's something going on. Like the dog is like coming to us and whining and barking because he knows there's something going on. You think the seven-year-old doesn't? Yes. What planet are we on? This kills me. This what kills planet? like yeah. absolutely like kills me. So even if it's something that I don't know how to explain to them in an age-appropriate way yet, I'll just say, hey, guys, mommy and daddy are really stressed right now because there's something going on with like the lease at the restaurant or a tenant at an apartment or, and listen, yeah. it's not you guys. It's like this grown up stuff. I can't really even explain it right now, but like, it's, it's nothing to do with you. Right. It's just, it's this. And they're just like, oh, okay. Back to PlayStation. But like, it just I think it's essential. Yeah. So all these people. Okay. Go back to right. Little kid seeing great actors show that, oh, kissing or touching is like, Hmm. feels good and oh my god it's this way that these characters are connecting and yeah. oh oh I'm feeling these good feelings and then the parent comes in right mm -hmm. so take it take it from there parent comes in and uh says oh that's that's terrible that's that's gross or it makes a joke or switches the channel or why are you watching that that you're too young for that you know like gets into critical mode gets into shaming um and what the challenge is and sometimes sorry there's exactly what you said there's the unsaid too and like that and this is why i was going it kills me because people say the kids don't know that we're fighting all the time like wait wait people come into your therapy and they say that Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, in therapy rooms, <laughs> down the street, you know, like whoever wants to tell me, you no, know, the kids don't know. We do it behind closed the doors. Kids don't. <laughs> it's like, just, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm laughing. And anybody who is watching or listening to this, I'm not laughing at you. It's just that I have, I've had so much more interaction with children than I've had with adults because I worked with kids. Kids know everything. Kids know everything. They were born to read body language. We're born for the first almost three years of picking up on the nonverbal. Yeah. And even that hostility between you, like I always think, and that's something I hear so common with people is talking about the trepidation, the eggshells in their house. So nothing was said. And, and there's a lot more cultural factors to this in Ireland, I think, where people don't overtly have rows, have, have conflict, you know, so it is definitely a cultural factor, but sorry, it's it's also global, um, yeah. and and that you know it, it, it breeds a sense of fear within a child. Yes. So if we also have that around sex and that onset, even the changing of the channel or you know making a grossy noise or whatever it might be that that elicits some sort of anxiety or fear or shame within a child it just shuts them down and it also doesn't create an environment where they feel safe enough to approach a parent and say something's happened or i don't quite understand or you know something pretty horrific because they feel unsafe because that similar thing that happened on the tv may have happened to me or you know like 
I feel a certain way about a, a child or, you know, when they're older, I've got somebody pregnant or I'm, you know, I think I might be gay or whatever it might be. You don't create this safe environment. And that starts with such an early age. And thinking about that sexual script part, I ask clients about nudity. You talked about it at the beginning, you know, you just like, you know, everybody's cool. Everybody's calm in the household around, around uh, body image and, and nakedness and stuff. And it's like, that also is like hugely impressionable for a child and how they feel about themselves and the body. Absolutely. Okay. So it's funny because when I said sex positive, I didn't even talk about nudity in the household, but you made that assumption. And yes, it was true. Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah, you just yeah. made the assumption, right? Like my parents wouldn't walk around naked, but like in underwear, if they're going from room to room or if yeah. like I went into the room and they were naked, they would just be like, Hey, just, and they would like turn around and like grab their clothes. Like, but it wasn't like, what are you doing here? Like yeah. never like that. Never, never. And I remember one of Manny's cousins who's Greek. She said something about like once her first child was like two, how she started covering herself. Like when she got out of the shower mm. and this may be a common thing for people, but it blew my mind. I just never even considered that there would be an age where I would hide myself. I was thinking like, there'll probably be an age where like they, they'll knock because they don't want to walk in on me. And that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is now. That's yeah. what it is now. My oldest is almost 15. My second mm. is almost 13. And my littlest is nine. Mm. The nine-year-old doesn't care. He'll just mm. like bust in because like, even if I make it in the bathroom, you're like mom and in Roblox, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah. And like, he, he just wants to talk to a mom who's going to listen about the pet he has in Roblox and then maybe be convinced that he needs like more money on the game to get the other like he, that's all he cares about right but my older two now will you know lock the bathroom door when they shower and I'm really careful about like if they are somewhere like knocking and like giving them time you know before I open and like privacy and they just naturally and it happened like a few years ago but just naturally now when the doors lock they'll knock before you know what I mean I think for, for us it just has happened happened it didn't it need to conversation yeah so the nudity part is is interesting interesting mm. so yeah asking people those okay. questions because kids are sponges they want to just connect all the dots as fast as possible right so you never know what situation is just going to make them go and like fill in this whole grid of like oh the blanks right fill in all those blanks about what, and, what my body looks like, what people think of my naked body. Yeah. And and if you're, you know, told to, to cover up, I, like I've had so many clients who have been, you know, bathing when they were far too young to be, you know, in uh, with water and themselves because parents are like, you're old enough now. I can, I like not going in or even I mean, things like them. Um, they would bathe themselves like when they were really little, you mean? Yeah. And I mean, I'm talking, you know, like that kind of four or five, I'm not talking under the age of three or anything, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But that just, sense yeah, of like pretty, like, pretty young. Yeah. Pretty, pretty young to, to, to feel, but, but it being the message being around, you're old enough now to take care of your body. And I don't want to have to not only deal with your body, but have to see it, you know, we're like coming into, right. um, because you're old enough now. Does that make sense? There, yeah. Yeah. There's something about your body now that no, I, not for me to, and like and 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 the same thing with and you know same, walking in um, right? and you just, know everything's yeah. dressed 
like you know don't come in i'm changing and that just creates this kind of sense of yet again discord around my body and there's something wrong with it or something bad or something shameful trying to yeah fill in these these blanks and and really when it's nothing about the little child as you know you know and all about about the parents and but not being able to understand what's happening for them the adults right putting it in a place of it's me it's it's always yeah i'm to blame it always is. Kids will always make it, always make it about them. And that's the funny, funny thing that the assumption that a lot of people get wrong about kids is that kids don't have the maturity to take responsibility. And I think it's absolutely the opposite, absolutely mm-hmm. the opposite. Without expanded perspective, humans will always go, oh, I did that, or that was my fault, or oh, 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 me, 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 right? instead of having an opportunity to like open that and look at that, like in a child, like, Oh, why do you think that was your fault? Blah, blah, blah. What we, what we do is just compound on them. Like you need to take responsibility. You need to, you, 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 right. And it just like, it, it, it just shores that up. Like, um, until people end up in zoom with their partner across from you going help. Right. Yeah, and it's so and it's so sad. Like I do hear a lot of very heartbreaking stories. I'm sure you do too through coaching. Is the real distress that these little kids are going through? And uh, like the little, you know, you're talking about like little Ashley. You know, these little. What did she go through? And just reading, like, what might that have been like? But so often it's it's kind of minimized or or dismissed as it not having affected me. That was so long. It didn't affect me. Absolutely. And I like, I wish, I wish it didn't affect me, but looking more and more, I'm like, oh, it did. And now I know why that thing is hard for me now. And that's okay. And right. There's like so much opportunity when we have that willingness, but you have to feel really, really safe. So what are, what are the things that you, you do with couples? What are, what is the homework, you know, or is it, is it, Mm. are there exercises you work through with them or are there things they do on their own? What are the practices to start feeling more comfortable and just opening up? Well, not even, not even feeling comfortable in terror, like going into the, it's not like, oh yeah, I just want to feel more comfortable. It's like, oh no, no, no. Having this willingness to go into the scarier conversations yeah. or the uncomfortable situations together as a team and say, yeah, you know what? Maybe if we talk about this, we're not going to die. Like maybe, yeah, maybe there is yeah. some opportunity here. And, and people feel they are going to die. Like they, they, sometimes, they do, don't they? Right? Oh, it's like, I cannot believe you were making me do this. And I always say, it's going to be awkward. It's yes. going to feel a bit weird, you yes. know, like, um, and I normally use like a metaphor of of dancing. Like if if you've never really dan- had a dance together and you're sitting there and you're going, oh God, do you want to dance? Okay, fine. The, you know, like with the dance, this is super awkward and and maybe we're supposed to be doing the foxtrot and I've never done it before, you know, and it feels just like, oh my goodness, oh, so insurmountable. And you're going to trip over each other's feet and you're going to bang heads and and whatever. But the most important thing is humor. The most important aspect is having a bit of a laugh and having fun together because I am such a believer in that. I'm such a believer that that can diffuse so much and tell us so much as well. And so 
one of the tools that I use, I suppose, is, is the age-old self um, sensate focus. Um, so Sensate Focus was developed by Masters and Johnsons in the 1960s, and it's a great program, but it was written in the 1960s. Yeah. Um, so it needs to be altered, and it, it, it's quite descriptive, which is fine, but it, it's quite a lot. So often people like, would have been written with the idea that women would have been at home and, you know, ready for the man to come in the door. Um, <laughs> so, um, so there's like, it's a uh, depending on the couples just like about, home and waiting for sex all day yeah yes, with a little apron on um but um it's it, it's it's quite dated in many ways but um it's great as as a foundational tool and um i i write my own like i still call it sensei focus um but it's kind of nine we i i just have like this template and then i adjust it to every couple because some people will be um uncomfortable with oral sex or some people might yeah. feel um like have an injury um, and so yeah. one of the big parts are like massages and so if you've got um uh, issues with your arms or strength issues or or maybe there's aspects of disability um i've also had people who have worked as mas uh, masseuse and and don't want to give massage because that's part of work right yeah. so it's like so, so it's about trying to be a bit novel with it. So it's about a nine week program. And basically what Masters and Johnson didn't know at the time, it's like mindful sex. It's about being in the moment. So I have things in there like drawing each other's genitals. You know, that's one of the fun things you're supposed to do. So, you know, what's it like? And then also looking at each other's, having a bit of a laugh and then like pointing out where it feels nice and it feels good. And then other things would be about finding different items around the house and using those to touch each other. But the idea is, is that intercourse penetration, um, if they're straight couple, is is off the table. So for the whole for the not, whole nine for weeks. The whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And sorry, that's the same of course if it was if it was um uh, well if it was any gender really of a couple, but particularly when um there's some like erectile dysfunction or vaginismus or dyspareunia, which yeah. might have to have extra support anyway. Couples get into it very resentfully with just this sense of, I cannot believe they are making us do this. This is so weird and awkward and I have to draw um, or, you know, paint his penis or... Um, and we can't have sex. We came here for better sex and you're telling us we can't have sex. So, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny and it's brilliant, right? Um, but but most of, mm. most of the work we have to do to repattern as humans is counterintuitive. Totally. Like even one of the things that I that I say in my videos is one of the best ways that we mixed up our intimacy was we would do oral only for like started off as oral only Tuesdays. Yeah. Right. Right. Which I don't know why we called it that or why we picked Tuesdays. Um, but it was funny. One of our kids and he I I said something about, oh man, are we gonna have some time together tonight? And one of the kids goes, it's not even Tuesday. <laughs> um, and he was like, he was like nine, maybe at the time. This is Jack. And I was like, what? And I, I was like, what? And he was like, I don't know. He like didn't even really know what it meant. Didn't know what it was. But he just like knew that there was this thing, like mommy and daddy like hanging out on a Tuesday. But just having more. I, you know, it's so easy, especially with penis and vagina, penetrative sex mm. to always just do the same things. Yeah. Right. It's just really, really easy. And 
whether those are the things that just take you both to climax quickly or one of you to climax quickly, or it's just the way to like check the box. Like, yes, we did it. And either it was a quickie or like, it was a little bit more involved. It wasn't quite whatever we kind of check because sex becomes this thing sometimes in a relationship that's like taking out the garbage. It's like checking a box instead of like coming together. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's like, yeah, like a requirement for a happy marriage. And I don't get these questions. I don't get these comments very often. And the only place I really get them is TikTok. But sometimes men will come in and I can tell they have this, this really particular mindset that like, oh, well, but you just have to do it at a certain frequency or else there's no potential for the relationship to be good. And, and they're like, you know, cause I have needs. And I was like, I I just delete the comments. But what I want to say is like, you know, in order for our relationship to be good, I have this need that my Mm -hmm. husband do the dishes five days a week. Like it's a need, Mm -hmm. it's a need for like, it's so fucking arbitrary, right? It's so arbitrary. What are, what our needs should be that, we don't even look at what our, our needs actually are. Right. Like I have men in my DMS who are like, I feel so stupid, but whenever I have a hard day at work, I really need my wife to hold my hand when we're watching TV. And I've told her this before and she always forgets. And I feel just so foolish having to ask again, like that's, there's this part, right? Like if I have to ask for it, is it worth anything? Yeah. Well, I know for myself, I really forget shit. I forget. I, I, I love my husband. I love my kids so much. And I don't remember which one likes turkey sandwiches and which one likes ham. I don't know, Aoife. Yeah. I have to ask them again, which one do you like? Tell me, tell me again what you like. Absolutely. But, but um, the things don't become less valuable because we have to ask. And, and this is, so important when we talk about couples because we're unique individual people with our own experiences and if we have this notion that our partner is supposed to be the same of us, as us or the same we, as or the same as every other man or woman we thought right because it's like yeah. it's this interesting thing whether they think we think that our cup our partner must process things the same way we do or that all men do this all women do this because that's the big thing with a lot of people coming to me who have been raised in christianity they're like Mm -hmm. oh but men oh but women and i'm like oh but actually have a conversation and see if that really applies to your partner because we're at this so i tell my kids we are all unique beautiful and annoying in our own ways yeah totally like the good and the bad, right? Like, like unique as a fingerprint, snowflake, whatever. Yeah. We really do come with our own, our own needs. And isn't yeah. that fun? Isn't that fun that we have this opportunity to be like, Hey, little baby, can't wait to get to know you. That's why I love my kids getting bigger. You know, so many people are like, I want them to stay small. I'm like, I want to see what, be. I want to see who they're going to be. They're yeah. not my baby. I didn't give birth to them to be like, Ooh, now I get to shape a baby. No, no. It's like, yeah. yes, came through me. Right. But it's like, who are they going? Who are they going to become? That's yeah. Them. Yeah. And I love that excitement in, and it, it does tend to happen when there's a shift in that 
like first initial sessions with couples and they're coming in and they're frustrated and they hate each other and you know they're at or, or somebody's distressed and crying um, and you get to a point of where they suddenly realize wait a second you're quite interesting actually and I'm quite interesting and how do we separate the we the me and the we from this and explore each other in these really multi-dimensional ways that it just becomes so much more expansive in our thinking you know that that and and I know you do a lot of this um as well and and talk about this so often about like the scheduling sex you know what what do you mean if we have to schedule sex and I go do you go on a date night do you say oh on Friday we go out to the to the local pub yes what is why is it any different why is this like why do we have this belief that it has to be spontaneous and if it's not spontaneous then there's something wrong with us right like and meeting, having all the time something me, wrong right right and that's why I never talk about frequency people may listen to this and go oh yes yeah, she does she go find it don't, no I don't people may, may overlay their own things around frequency. <laughs> and if people ask me in dms sometimes I'll get into a conversation about it um mm. but I'll be like there is no normal there is no, no normal it's quality over quantity every it time. Is, it is. It is. Absolutely. Okay. And I love what you just said about realizing that your partner is a really interesting person. And so are you. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. So my partner and I have been together 20 years in August. It'll be 20 years. I've learned more about him and he's learned more about me in the past five years than those mm-hmm. 15 years before. It's fascinating because we met right out of college. You would think like, oh, okay, this is what's happened. And then now this is, and like that we would just have this understanding of each other as we go. But I mean, you know more about this than me, but our our childhoods, the way we are raised, all the things that happen before we meet, I think don't really become clear to us until like, you can't process, make meaning of it, learn it while you're going through it. It's like during during that other phase in life that you're going to go, oh, wait. And that thing that, happened when I was 11. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, I, it, it taught me this. And I want to look at like, is that really true? Is that really true? So it's the growth, isn't it? Like it, there's it just really, this... it is really growth. And mm-hmm. so often in relationships can feel stale. It can feel like you and your partner in the relationship are, are like stale bread, stale bread. Like it doesn't have that same juiciness that feeling that passion that whatever at the beginning and so it's so easy to think and I've done this Aoife oh it's because I didn't pick the right person it's feeling stale it's kind of expiring because I didn't pick the right person so maybe I need someone else oh, maybe. maybe and here's the thing that I'm just realizing right in this moment so in in my book it was Brad right Mm. when you are connecting on that level with a new person, really, I think what it opened up in me was this potential to sort of reinvent myself to decide, okay, what parts of me do I want to lead with? Like with this person who doesn't Mm. know me, there's this opportunity, right? To be like, oh yeah, I'm Ashley. This is important to me. This is important to me. This is what I'm good at. This is a funny story, whatever you get to like present in a new way. Yeah. And what if, what if we could do that with our partners? 
what if? And that's what I came to um, in, in now. What if, what if we could just get to know each other as who we are now in deeper versions than we ever mm. knew when we first met? And that's why I say with Manny, it's not like, mm. oh yeah, things are great. Like when we were dating. No, I like him way better than the guy I dated. Yeah. And I like me way better. And like the depth of our relationship and maturity and, and our sex, all, everything. Yeah. Everything is better because we are grown ass humans who have mm. like some perspective and maturity and ability to really our ability to communicate like the, the emotional intimacy and intellectual intimacy that we have now. I am just so grateful for, but to get there, the awkward mm -hmm. awkwardness that we had to go through was pretty intense. But that's vulnerability, right? Like when yes. we're vulnerable, then we can be intimate because we're exposing layers of ourselves that then allow for the other person to know us better. It allows for a deeper connection. So when we're when we're vulnerable, although it's difficult and it's painful sometimes and it's a bit awkward. And then yet yeah, we can grow and evolve because I'm such a believer that we evolve every single day and every single moment of every day, we're becoming somebody different. And if we kind of keep that going, like you said about bringing that to Manny, almost like shifting into who I actually am now and not back then and who I actually want you to see me as being too. And without it being like this, this kind of arbitrary aspect to it. It's absolutely. And, and, this opportunity now. And I think I had this, I had this great gift of like reinvention in my professional life mm. too, with leaving skating and going, okay. And now, now I'm going to be a writer. I'm a publisher. I'm, you know, these, a coach, these things with this openness and with this vulnerability, there's this expansion and this forward looking perspective. This is who I am now. This is who I want to become. Who are you? Who do you want to become? Where do you see this family in the future? Where do you see us? When you open up to that vulnerability, there's this opportunity for co-creation. Yeah. Like in a really intentional way. Yeah. Like yes. who give that are, opportunity. Who yeah. are we as individuals? Who are we as a couple? Who are we as reliable neighbors or friends? Who are we as a family? Like who, who, who? And see, like I'm asking the question, like it's just like this expansion because you get to, you get to really feel into that every day. I'm so glad that you said we're not the same people every day. That was something through coaching that I, I just held so closely. Like I wouldn't mm. let my team watch a video of a performance or a practice if we'd already had a practice after that was recorded. Right. Because I was like, we're a different team now. Yeah. Some things are better. Some things may actually be worse, but you're, I don't know those athletes anymore. Now I know you, when we feel hurt, it's so easy to feel like very stuck. Like things have always been this way. Things are always going to be this way. There's no way out. Right. Giving couples that opportunity to realize, Oh, actually, I think it was the movie Vanilla Sky. It was like oh, every, yes. every okay. passing minute is another minute or every passing moment is another opportunity to turn it all around. Something like that. And I, I love change. So believing that everything can change in a minute is actually like so comforting to me. Maybe not for everybody, but that 
definitely not for everybody. Right. That, <laughs> that actually attention. a common anxiety that I see. I would yeah. Say. Yeah. That things may change. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just think we are all, I think we're all pre-programmed to evolve and grow and expand. I think we really are. But there's so much that we have to dig through and dr drop, actually. So much that we have to drop, I think. It's not about yeah. the work. It's just about, okay, dropping these other things to then let that naturally happen. And I think it's a really tough place to get there like you've yeah. done phenomenal work on yourself with the relationship with manny you know self-reflection and and it's clear that you have signed up to do that for life <laughs> you know i we're always we're always gardening as i say like you know well, we're um, always gardening i'm so glad that you said that because yeah it's it's not a road it's a garden right oh it's a garden yeah, yeah. okay it's constantly changing. So what advice would you give to people who are, are wondering if they should just bulldoze the whole yard <laughs> because they're like, there's no potential here, right? In, in the relationship or in the way that their life is. Um, what, what, would be, what would be your closing piece of advice for people who feel like it's a lost cause or that maybe they want it, but their partner will never change enough in order for it to work. What would you say to them? I mean, firstly, I would say, oh, that's, that sounds really tough. Um, but then I would say, you know, I go back to our metaphor earlier on and, and you talking about writing a memoir and maybe thinking about, okay, thinking about history, but who do you want to become what do you want to do where do you want to go who do you want to be and putting putting that on paper because i really think as you said there is something that is so transformational almost about that pen you know by putting something down on paper that that extrapolates it out into that clarity hopefully in front of you and going well is my partner aligned here like is my partner aligned with the same values that I hold, the desires and passions, and perhaps where we both want to go, where I want to go? Because ultimately, as much as I'm a couple therapist, I will always say to couples, like, you need to look at yourself first. Yeah. And, and not only because what, because we all bring baggage into relationships, we're all human, so we do that, we have our own issues, but where do you want to go? Because actually, this is, as far, depending on what you believe in, this is your only life. And is this what you want for yourself? Is this relationship what you want for yourself? And if it's the case that, you know, I, I love the book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Um, and it's one of those things where sometimes we do have to think about, we do have to think about ourselves in, sorry, we absolutely have to think about it in ourselves, but think about it in the context of the greater scheme of life. So if it's the case that it doesn't align, well, maybe the garden's got to go and you can plant a new one and you can choose those crops. You know, you can choose those plants um, and and that's part of, you know, a new relationship. What does that look like for you? When when I'm thinking, when you said that sometimes the garden's got to go and you have to plant a new one. That 
can, can look a couple different ways. Maybe you're planting a garden by yourself. Maybe you and your partner are saying, we're starting over, right? But either way, the, the, the way you are going to grow something beautiful in that new garden, beautiful and sustaining and nurturing, is by tending to that garden. Instead of going back and telling anybody the story about what went wrong in the old garden, right? You can keep going back and pointing and remember that didn't work. But if, you, if you're spending time in your mind or in your day over there, you're really not planting anything new, are yeah. you? Yeah, you're so right. That tenderness is absolutely, is absolutely key in order for you know, roses to bloom. Right. Aoife, thank you so much. Can you tell everyone where they can find you and um, get more from you? Yes, um, you can find me on Drury Therapy on uh, Instagram and on Drury Therapy is my website as well. You're more than welcome to reach out. This episode is coming to an end and I don't want it to finish before you take action. Take a screenshot of this episode and text it to your spouse. Let them know you're thinking of them and how you can better your relationship. If you both need a little handholding, grab Keeping It Hot the workbook for fun, low pressure conversation starters to get to know each other on a whole new level. Or if you want to rip the bandaid off, if you want your dynamic with your partner to take a leap forward while you also dig deeper and fast, read Swing. The audiobook is on Audible and I narrate it. You can also request the paperback or the ebook from your local library. Whatever action you decide to take, be proud. It takes courage to move the plot of your story forward, even just a little bit, and small steps every day really do add up. Keeping It Hot with Ashley Renard is a production of Manitoba Woman Media, produced by Elizabeth Kraus. Original music by Echo Drop. Production assistance by Lauren Petraglia.